Hello, and welcome to Dirt Road Divinity, the scenic route of the soul. I'm your host, Lisa Wade, and today I talk with Frank Wood. Frank came from a conservative background in Texas to now having 37 years of sobriety and found his own spiritual path along the way. Ultimately, Frank believes that love is really the only thing that matters. Please enjoy this Dirt Road Divinity conversation with Frank Wood. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dirt Road Divinity. I'm Lisa Wade, your host, and I am so excited to be talking today with Frank Wood. Frank, hi. Hi, Lisa. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Like (laughs) two and a half years. You've had a lot of changes in your life over two and a half years, going from Central Texas to now Central Oregon in an incredible dual partnership with your beautiful, incredibly intelligent and sassy new wife, (laughs) but also business partners too. That's that's a whole lot in in a short amount of time. How's it is? It is. It's uh, it's. It's been awesome. I love that. (laughs) Now, when we met, we had the opportunity to meet during the uh, School for Spiritual Direction program, a two-year interfaith spiritual direction program at the Osage Forest of Peace in Oklahoma. And you would drive up from Texas. And I'm going to be honest, you were the person in the class that completely fascinated me. And I think part of it had to do with... um, Mr. Potato Head as one of the centerpieces to your altar at home. <laughs> but it sounds like you have had a fascinating spiritual journey from being steeped in kind of traditional mainstream Christianity growing up to being on a bit of a different path these days. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that road and where you are and how you got there? Sure, I'll try. Um... Big question. I, uh, I grew up in a in a conservative family. Uh, although my parents voted for Obama and will probably never vote Republican again, but I grew up in a conservative tradition. Um, they were not uh, religious people, but they um, they made sure that I had you know a good education, and, and part of that was going to um, private uh, Episcopals school, high school mainly. Um, so, so I grew up in that tradition. So, you know, that was, that was always present. My grandmother was very, very faithful. I can remember spending the night at my grandmother's house when I was a little boy and she had a sofa, um, fold out sofa in her bedroom and she folded out for us when we stayed over. And every night, last thing she did before she turned off her life is she would get up on her knees in her nightgown and her hairnet and everything, you know, and, uh, and just say her prayers and rub her face. And just, I mean, she was praying. It was obvious, you know, and, and she didn't, you know, care if I did or not. Sometimes I did with her, sometimes I didn't, but she would pray. And then in the morning when she rode out of bed, she would get on her knees first thing and pray. Mm. Um, but that's just who she was. Um, I, um, as I grew older and started thinking, I became agnostic just because I didn't understand and didn't get it. And the thing that really drove me to, to seriously consider God, um, 
You know, I never understood that personal relationship to me. I didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't really deny the existence that there could be something because to me, uh, atheism is illogical. You know, you're denying the existence of something. If it doesn't exist, there's no need to deny it. It just doesn't exist. So why even argue the point? Um, so I, I was never atheist, but I was agnostic because I did not know. And um, hitting a bottom with with alcohol and drugs, you know, all at least the 12-step recovery I've been exposed to is centered around finding a relationship with a power greater than yourself, with your creator. And so that, that forced me to start taking a look at it. And, and in that process, um, because 12 step recovery says, you know, use your own concept of God, you know, you don't have to necessarily believe what somebody else says you need to believe, but just ask yourself, honestly, from inside, what does all this mean to you? Mm. That encouraged me to do that. And in doing that, uh, you know, solely for the purpose of, of staying sober and not uh, falling off the wagon, you know, I did what was suggested and eventually had a spiritual experience where now I know that God exists. You know, it's not, it's not, I no reason to argue it because I, I know what I know, you know, that, that there is a God and, and I do have a relationship with God today, but don't ask me to define God because I can't define God. I just know mm. that there is God. So would you say, thank you for sharing all of that. And would you say that, that it was in finding your own relationship that has helped with your, with your recovery and, and staying sober for, for how long now? Uh, I'd be 37 years in March. I got sober when I was 20. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you found your experience of God as, as a, as a fairly young man, but after some, some struggle before. Yes, yes, yes. And then struggle afterwards. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, we were talking before you turned on the record and, and there's a saying in recovery that, Pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth, and that's been my experience. You know, I'll I'll get spiritual and kind of have everything lined up and everything going great, and the second I become aware that wow, things are going really good, this space stuff really works, and doing the right thing really works, and thinking of others really works. As soon as I become conscious that that wow, this is I've never had it this good, I know. The growth is coming. <laughs> so just enjoy it while it lasts, however long this is going to last, because sure enough, new challenges come up in life that push me further to look mm-hmm. deeper. But the, it's always, I'm going through one right now, and I just had the revelation a couple of days ago. This is gets back to faith. Where's your faith, Frank? You know, do you really trust? Are you, do you really committed to doing the things that demonstrate faith? because that's my only option today. You know, I can try to do all this other stuff in the world and I have, we have to, we have to make a living and, you know, we have material desires and wants, you know, even if we're spiritual, you know, I mean, you know, one of my, uh, I wore this today for Valentine's day cause it's red, but you know, one of my deals is I've been a Porsche freak since I was probably 11 years old. And, 
And we have one in the garage right now. It's all 20 years old and used, but it's a Porsche. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just fascinated by the cars, you know, that's part of who I am, you know, and there was a time when I gave all that up, you know, and was trying to live this, I guess, aesthetic life. And that's just not for me. I'm not monk material. I don't belong in a monastery. And I know that because I visited a monastery and hung out for about a week till they told me I stayed long enough. <laughs> I didn't belong there. <laughs> oh, but there's some good stories to go along with that. <laughs> I think part of the opportunity is can we hold our faith and be in the world at the same time? You know, this idea of finding ourselves and our relationship, you know, with the divine in a cave at 10,000 feet in the air, you know, isn't for those of us living in, you know, a society like the U.S. or, or you know, that's not that's not realistic. And right. I think it's so much harder in, in some ways, you know, to remember that connection, to remember that faith, to remember to be soul or heart driven, you know, as, as opposed to selfishly driven while walking around trying to do things like pay the bills and, you know, <laughs> fill the car up with gas and get out from behind the slow jackrabbit in line at the grocery store, <laughs> you know, whatever else. It's like there's an opportunity to grow at every corner, at every corner. And yeah. being a Porsche guy is okay. I'm guessing your version of the creator, the, your relationship with the creator doesn't say, oh, now, Frank, that makes you less godly. Yeah. No, I don't think he cares. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's not really an issue either way. <laughs> but I think that there's something real about recognizing for you what brings you joy. What brings you joy? And what brings you joy? You're a Porsche guy. I'm a Jeep girl. So, you know, a little, mm-hmm. little different there. But we know that those two things bring us joy. And so leaning yes. into that instead of leaning away from it. There was a time, you know, within the past year, year and a half, I kept thinking I needed to sell my Jeep. I mean, it's a 74. I, I, I'm not a wrench turner myself necessarily. And these things need upkeep. I thought this doesn't make any sense. But every time I went to try to sell it, it was like my soul would say, please don't, please don't. And I would just get the sinking feeling inside, just inside. It was like, oh, you know, and when I finally decided, nope, I got to keep this, I got to keep this thing and take the top of, off of it and enjoy it. And it's crazy how I feel more me and feel more connected to my soul and to the divine when I'm out in the woods driving that thing. It's not, it might yeah. not be everybody else's cup of tea, but recognizing what that thing is for you or for me and being willing to lean into it and not shamed out of it, you know? Yeah. Because there's an awful lot of blame, shame, you know, stuff that goes around, even within the spiritual community that, oh, well, if you're attached to something, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of crap. <laughs> kind of crap. Yeah. So with your experiences, you know, you talked about trying to lead a, a more minimalist, you know, lifestyle, non-attached to to stuff, recognizing that the monastery wasn't the path for you. What drew you to the spiritual direction school? I don't say. Um, Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's just part of my seeking. Um, I had a 
Uh, years ago, I had gone to a retreat, a men's retreat with Richard Rohr. Mm-hmm. This was yeah, 25 years ago. Um, so I, so I'm always drawn to those types of activities when they come up and I, I don't even, uh, well, I do know I had a friend who we know, Vanessa, who spent a lot of time at those stage four piece and talked about how great it was. So I went there one weekend just to, to, to relax and get away mm-hmm. and, uh, saw a flyer, you know, for the school of spiritual direction. And it just, it just resonated with me. You know, that that was the next thing as part of my, and I didn't know where it would lead. I didn't know, you know, if I'd actually become a spiritual director. Um, and it really hadn't led to that, but it's it's enabled my growth and ability to listen and understand and be more open-minded yeah. with everyone. I love that. I was going to ask what, what your bigger takeaways were from that particular program, you know, some people lean in thinking I will become a spiritual director and serve others in that way. That wasn't the path I ended up taking with it, but I sure found um, increased faith to go back to that word that like spirit had my back when I, when Mm -hmm. I quieted myself enough to really listen to who was on the other side of the conversation and then also listen for clear answers and direction from, you know, spirit, whatever, you know, Holy Spirit, whatever, whatever, you know, that the term is used for that. Um, That's where I leaned in and learned that being willing to serve from a place of an open heart, spirit was always going to be there. You know, even when I didn't have, when my mind, logical mind didn't have the answers I could trust, even with difficult situations, you know, difficult questions from a client that I could trust spirit to, Mm -hmm to give me the answer they needed, not because it was the answer I needed or that my mind could come up with, but it was the one they needed. So I love that, you know, an an increased ability to listen and to lean in was something that you, that you came away from that with. Now you had had, if I remember correctly, had quite a meditation practice. Now, did you study Buddhism at, at one point? Uh, Not, not official, not formally, but, but I, I lean, Buddhist, you know, I mean, a little bit Native American stuff. I smudge almost every morning. Yeah. Um, that just something that I started doing and, and I like it and, and it's a good ritual for me. Um, and I lean Buddhist. I, I went through, I've uh, been divorced twice now. And uh, after my second divorce, I had such grief because what I learned from my first divorce was how selfish and self-centered I was and how I should not have done that. And so when I made the vows the second time, I was, you know, I was going to hang in there till she killed me. You know, I mean, <laughs> I was, you know, I wasn't leaving. And, uh, you know, I, and it was so painful to lose my identity as a, a father and provider and, and husband. You know, my whole identity was wrapped up in this belief that, you know, I was going to do it right this time. And, mm-hmm. and not that I did, but I was trying and that was what I wanted. Um, fell way short and she let me know it. Um, it was so painful. And I went to several divorce recovery uh, classes at three different churches, read a couple of books. And it wasn't until I read, and I'm not sure I can remember the name of the book, but it's a Buddhist, it's a Buddhist book on grief. 
that, and I was already kind of lean, read lots of Buddhist stuff and, and followed that, but, but that book made the most sense to me about what I'd experienced and what I was going through. And so it just solidified, you know, my Buddhist angle. You know, I don't really identify as anything except a child of God. I love you know, that. Which, which I believe we all are. Yeah. You know, we're all equal in that respect. Mm, that's beautiful. Tell me about Mr. Potato Head. I Mr. Remember- Potato Head. I actually had to dig out Mr. Potato Head. So I've got an altar and I, it sits on a wooden box and I have all my keepsakes in there and and what's on the altar there is a Buddha on the altar that's probably always going to be there because a friend of mine gave me this really beautiful little Buddha um but but what's on my altar changes from time to time so I had Mr. Potato Head was in the box in storage but I pulled Mr. Potato Head out because so for everybody Mm-hmm. That's Mr. Potato Head from Altar, who sits inside the altar today. But he may go back out now, though. I don't know. Maybe I need to put him out for this reason. And the reason I had him out before is that I get so serious and so intense about what I'm doing in life and being spiritual and working hard and being a good husband and being a good father that I miss the journey because I'm so darn intentional about everything I'm trying to do. And I forget not to take myself so damn seriously. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Potato Head is there to remind me not to take stuff so seriously, you know, to not get so wrapped up in the, in the details and the minutia and to relax. So thank you for bringing up Mr. Potato Head. He's definitely going back on the altar for a while. <laughs> that, Cause I, I need that right now. Well, when you brought that up at the at Osage Force of Peace that day and explained just what you explained, I saw myself in your rationale. And I was like, oh, I need to chill out. Yeah. <laughs> I need to allow this to actually be joyful and actually be fun instead of making it some drudgery, you know, to where, oh, the morning ritual and the prayer and the meditation, it all has to be a certain way without any spontaneity or, or flow or freedom, right. or, you know, and so for me, your Mr. Potato Head has actually been a good touch point for me too. So, you know, I've got little goofy things on, on my, you know, around my area that kind of remind me of your Mr. Potato Head, like my little Yoda and like this little guy. And, you know, I mean, just all kinds of stuff that, that remind me that the spiritual work doesn't necessarily have to feel like pain, you know, even though pain might be the touchstone that leads to spiritual growth, it, the process doesn't have to be painful necessarily. We can have fun right. in meditation. We can have fun in, in life. We can have fun connecting with God. And I think that there's been like this, you talked about your grandmother when you were growing up. And I remember, you know, going to my grandmother's house, but it was my great grandmother that, whoo, she was very, very devout, you know, very devout Southern Baptist. And it was so serious, so serious. And I remember as a kid thinking, this isn't much fun. <laughs> this isn't much fun. And so for some of us, bringing that fun back actually makes it more likely that we de- want to develop that relationship mm-hmm. with the creator. Yeah. So thank you for that. You know, one thing I noticed in doing a little 
stalking <laughs> about you is that you have lived in some pretty spectacular places. So we got Park City, Utah, Whitefish, Montana, Aspen, now Bend, mm-hmm. Oregon. Mm-hmm. Are you drawn to big, beautiful places, or what, what's what's the story with this? With because those to me are all places that are quite naturally beautiful. Yeah, um, the, yeah. I moved to Park City uh, soon after I got sober because we have a, a saying in twelve step recovery: "To thine own self be true." Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it means to selfishly run off and be a ski bum, but that's how I interpreted it at 21 <laughs> years old. So that's what I did. But but I love skiing and the outdoors and camping and, and, and you know, love the mountains. Uh, I went to a, a wilderness camp when I was 15 or 16 in Colorado, where we spent three weeks living in, in tents and, and took long hikes and did some solo camping and, you know, which was not... Uh, at the time I didn't understand how spiritual it was, but I can remember coming over after a long hike and, and, and hiking through snow with, with the guys I was with and coming over the, a peak and looking down on a glacial lake. Mm. And I think that was my first conscious spiritual experience because it was absolutely the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it just, I felt it in my soul. And that was the first time that Again, I was conscious. So, so moving to to Park City, Utah, to be a ski bum when I was young, and then and then about ten years later, moving to Montana as part of my spiritual journey. You know, and it's it's it may sound weird, but but I had this calling to go to to Montana, and I cannot explain that. It's not rational. It's not logical. But but this was at a time when I first really began to have when I had that experience where I knew that God was within me the whole mm-hmm. time that it had just been obscured by my mind and my trying to figure stuff out yeah. obscured by calamity pomp and worship of other things but in the last analysis it's only there deep down within that God can be found and that was my experience so as part of listening to that inner voice you know I I believed I was it was God's will for me to go to Montana. Now I don't can today say whether I know it was or not. I just know that's what I did. And it was a, a great experience to live in, in Whitefish, Kalispell area and, I, and a, a t- good time for me to get away from the busy life in Dallas and kind of refocus. Uh, I did end up moving back to Dallas, Texas and stayed there for another 10 years until my ex-wife that I've referred to, uh, you know, said we were moving to Aspen, Colorado, and logically it made no sense, but I love skiing in the mountains. So that's what we did and did that for two years, you know, and then moving to Bend uh, again was not my plan. Although um, when I moved to Montana, my plan at the time was to move to Hood River, Oregon, where I could uh, ski in the winters and, and windsurf in the summers because that's what I was focused on then. Uh, that's what I love to do. And I didn't, I didn't make it because I was sidetracked by this inner calling to go to Montana. And I know all that sounds weird and stuff, but that's, you know, it was all inner driven, you know, my desire to go someplace different. And so the fact that I ended up in Bend, Oregon 25 years later is, an interesting coincidence to me. 
knowing how I ended up here. Um, you know, I mean, I just, you know, I try to go with the flow. You know, I don't do a very good job sometimes, I feel like, because I'm trying to make stuff happen and, you know, be responsible and and everything. But this is just where I ended up again. And it's cool. It's super cool here. Love that. When, you know, when we first met, I had a, I'm not surprised that you had a, a spiritual experience in nature. I just, I could, I could definitely see that about you. And so thank you for sharing that, you know, you had that feeling when, when looking over, you know, the, the lake and being there in the mountains. When we first met at the beginning of the School for Spiritual Direction, I remember it, stuff was a little challenging, in your life. I mean, job situation was a little challenging. You know, I don't think there was a relationship situation at the time. And, and there were, there were, well, there was, there's always a relationship situation. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it just felt like, like it was more challenged than, than not often. Mm -hmm. And then, and then things turned around and Mm -hmm. new opportunities and like, your energy so dramatically shifted. And I mean that in the best possible way, like to see, to see you light up with joy as a friend to watch that. It was like, Oh my gosh, this is a beautiful thing. What was that all about? How did, how did that come about? And did you even notice it for yourself? It was obvious. Oh yeah. Did you, oh, yeah. For you? Okay. It, you know, uh, again, you know, pain is a touchstone of all spiritual growth. I had, uh, when I started the school for spiritual direction, I was in a relationship, uh, which was, it was, a, a third performance for me and, and this woman, uh, I <laughs> Got it. dated her a little when I was very young and was terrified of her, uh, and, uh, did not get that involved. And then, tried again years later and it was a disaster but she came back around you know and uh, you know god bless me i just want to love and be helpful you know and so that's what i was trying to just love her and be helpful in it and it was uh it did not work again it was a very painful um experience um and, and it wouldn't be appropriate to go into the details but it was just it was a painful experience but because of that you know i had always had this idea that, that I would have a, have a soulmate. And, and I think that was driven, you know, and some people would say, well, it's love addiction. And, and, you know, I identify with that. Um, But I finally got to a point where I realized that my ability to pick and choose a relationship was not going to work because none of them had worked, you know, they either ended in divorce or some kind of drama you know, it just, it didn't work. So for the first time in my life, while I was at the school of spiritual direction, I made a decision to, to, to basically, you know, be celibate on a sabbatical for a year from all relationships. And, and was for the first time in my life, I basically said, I can't do this anymore. I can't seem to pick the right partner. I'm turning this over to you, God, and I'm going to take a year off as my demonstration and just not, not even, you know, worry about it. And um, no matter what happens, I'm not going to, you know, get involved with anybody and, or even act like I can. Um, and 
that was very freeing because I finally began to understand what people talk about when they say you got to love yourself. And I realized that I could be perfectly happy by myself, that I had not needed another person's validation or love or affection to feel okay. I quit seeking happiness from somebody else, you know, and in doing that, I got very free and I think God knew that I, there wasn't any way I'd gone about six months. There wasn't any way I was going to make it a year. So <laughs> I guess he had mercy on me and presented with me with my wife today uh, because it's the best relationship I've ever had, mm. you know, and, and it, I, th- on paper, it should not have worked. It should have never worked. There's just no way she lived in Oregon. I lived in Texas. She had, you know, four kids here and a career here. You know, I had my kids living with me at the time in, in Texas, and it just didn't seem like it could work, but it's just worked. It's just worked unbelievably well and just kind of happened. And, you know, and we're just on that journey to where now we're um, working together in a partnership and, you know, going to make the most of that. So that's incredible. And I, <laughs> watching you, from afar, at least over social media, seem incredibly happy. Yeah. And, and it really is. It really is. You know, some, somebody made the comment the other day, you know, uh, uh, well, our boss, you know, you know, look at y'all social media. It looks like y'all are just ridiculously happy, but it's social media, you know, kind of like, really? And I told him it is absolutely as disgusting as it looks. We are so in love <laughs> and work so well together. Mm. It's just, it's disgusting. <laughs> you guys give me hope. But it's beautiful. It is know? beautiful. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's and it's not that there aren't challenges and, you know, uh, usually because I say something insensitive, um, but um, <laughs> and have to apologize and, you know, and let her be, you know, have hard feelings for a little while till she gets over me being <laughs> insensitive. But, um, you know, it's great. I have a feeling she's the kind of gal who probably doesn't let you get away with a whole lot either. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it like surprises me when she does. <laughs> oh, and perhaps that's part of the perfect match. Yeah. So you guys are now in business and real estate. So real estate in central Oregon. And yes. how are you enjoying that? That's it. That's a career shift for you. Kind of a different, a different approach, isn't it? You were- yeah. That's something that I've always wanted to do and never felt like I was in a position to do it. And again, it's just something that kind of, materialized and, and, and the opportunity became available and it just, it's, you know, it's, it's just working, you know, it's a lot of unknowns have to have a lot of faith working on straight commission and, and it's uh, the market's interesting all over the country because it, there's a, there's a shortage of inventory and prices are going crazy high and interest rates are low. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting time, but, you know, I really believe in abundance and there's, there's plenty out there for people that are positive and have faith and just do the right thing and, and operate from a mindset of, of abundance and, and, you know, everything's fine today, have everything we could ever need or want today, you know, don't know what's going to happen three months from now, but today everything's fine, you know, and, and I really have learned to embrace that, you know, today. Cause that's really all we have. That's such an important shift, you know, from worrying about the future to appreciating what you have or what exists in the present. 
that because worrying about the future is crazy making stuff is -hmm. what I've realized. And it's almost the opposite of faith in a lot of ways. And you had talked about faith earlier and leaning into leaning into your faith, even, even when, you know, not having all the answers, but if we had all the answers, who would need faith? Right. I mean, so, and I found that I can lean into faith on some things. For example, when I got the inner calling, Hey, need you to go buy a ticket to take a solo journey to Egypt a year ago in November. I'm like, okay, God, you got my back. Keep me safe. Tell me where to go, what you want me to do. And I'm in. It wasn't a problem for me to have faith in that instance at all, which would freak a lot of people out. But like in my business, like faith there and on on the real 3D, you know, like money and paying Mm -hmm. bills and those kinds of things. It's interesting how for some of us, faith is easier in some areas than in others, you know, faith in people or relationships or whatever. And how have you kind of brought yourself to where you can, where you can find faith regardless of the topic, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great question. And it made me think, in fact, I think I just had a realization that if I know I'm not in control of something, faith is easy. It's only when I suffer from the illusion that I have control or more control than I really have that faith become, becomes a challenge. You know, I, I, I don't have control over what other people are going to do. I have control over how I present myself. I have control over what actions I take, but I, I don't have control over what they do. And in the world and in business and in sales, it, it's all about taking control and taking the action. And this is in your control and you create your own destiny. <laughs> And all that stuff. So it's a it's a catch twenty two. You know, I have to take the right action, and when I take the right action and know that I've done my best to take the right action, it seems easier to have faith. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Where does the word surrender hit you, or how does that word hit you? Um. Oh, it's such an interesting question. It's a long word. You know, if you look at it, it's just kind of a long word. Um, You know, surrender is, surrender is the secret. And I, and I always have to go through a process of surrender in, in, in everything, but it's so hard to do because is it surrender or is it giving up? And I think there's a, there's a difference between surrender and giving up um, on some level. And it's not, I don't think of surrender, although it is giving up, it's surrendering to a different way. You know, it's not surrendering to an enemy or surrendering to a foe for me anymore. It's surrendering to, to the light, to the love, to what's good. You know, I need to surrender to that. Does that, I have no idea what I'm talking about. You're just asking questions. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that, you know, when, when I often will think of faith, the word surrender comes along with it. And you were talking about take the, take the next right action, you know, as long as you know that you're taking the right action. And, you know, for me, it was this idea of active surrender, like 
God shows up in the shower one day <laughs> with this mm-hmm. whole conversation about surrender. And I got a little pissed and I'm like, I don't freaking know how to do that. A little bit of a control freak. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. Explain it. And it was like, God said, look, it's a simple equation, align, basically align with the soul, align with, you know, with the divine, allow that light, that goodness, that grace to flow to and through me, and then take aligned action. So actually take the action that's in alignment with what I'm learning when I allow and when I align. And uh, I was like, oh, well, that doesn't seem so, that doesn't seem so difficult. But I found that every time I get up in my head and use the phrase, figure it out, Mm -hmm. figure it out to me is the trigger of, oh, I'm out of flow or, or I'm trying to control this rather than surrendering to something that's much, that has the potential to be much greater than anything my little brain could figure out on its own. And so that's a topic that that I think about a lot. And so as you were talking about faith and taking the next, the next right action, this idea of surrender came up, but I think you're exactly right that it's surrendering to, you know, to what, and to that, that goodness, that grace, that light, that love, that, that's better, better part of what's possible mm-hmm. rather than the little box that we can yeah. love ourselves into sometimes when we're trying to control everything. How's that played out? And um, I, w- I would like to talk about recovery for for a minute, if you don't sure. mind. You know, before we got on the call, you'd ask the question: if, if my husband had passed away, and and yes, you know, and it was um, complete liver failure that was alcohol related. And I don't think I've actually said that out loud, like in a public setting. So thank you. Um, but one of the things I recognized with with um, his journey was also kind of an, a denial of like the, the term God just pissed him off. Like he would get angry at that. And, and, and so, you know, some of the things that you talked about in terms of, of your journey, um, I could see in him, but then you made the decision for something different and a different path in your life. What do you mind sharing? Like what helped you get to that space inside your own mind or heart or whatever that, Hey, I want to try something new and to actually surrender, you know, or lean into, maybe I don't know the best way to do this. And maybe, maybe with a little help, you know, from the divine, from others, I'm, I don't know if you, you know, attended meetings with the 12 step program and, you know, sponsor, and you know, just the whole structure that's there, but how did that make a difference for you? And is there anything that you've noticed for others that have been part of their, you know, that, that recovery has been a part of their life and, and process as well that is related to spirituality or just the choice to choose yourself. Uh, you know, what what do you see as being the thing that helps people make that choice? Uh, boy, if we could figure that out, yeah, we could heal the world. You know, because I don't know what it's different for everybody. Um, I can only share my my experience. And I think being brought up, you know, in a conservative, you know, relatively healthy family environment um, and and, you know, being raised and going to to church, you know, based education, um, 
prepared me for when things got ugly when I was using to realize that I didn't belong in some of the situations that I was in, that I wasn't comfortable and, and I didn't, it wasn't where I belonged. Mm -hmm. So that motivated me to, to seek out uh, an answer. Um, and while, while identifying that drinking and drugs were, you know, a bad path for me and I could not handle or control them. So the best solution was abstinence. You know, I started on that path and, and did what, what I was told was necessary for, you know, someone like me to, to, to stay abstinent, um, which was a spiritual program, uh, which is what the, the 12 steps are is a spiritual program. I think that, that, that I had to actually for self-preservation had to become motivated to, to really work those steps and, and to try to apply those to my life and live that way and seek God mainly in order to, to stay sober. But what happened for me at almost 10 years of sobriety is I never understood that part of my life being unmanageable. Certainly it's unmanageable if I'm drinking and using drugs and being a knucklehead. I mean, that's, that's a no, that's pretty easy to, to see that it was for me anyway. Um, but my life being unmanageable has a lot more to do with, I cannot manage happiness or satisfaction out of my life. I can't control it. And I can't. And for me, that manifest, there was never enough. There was never enough. The car wasn't fast enough. There wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough vacations or, you know, the, the, the girlfriend wasn't right. It just, it, I always wanted more, better and faster. And there's not enough if you want more, better and faster, because there's a limit to what you can get, you know, and it just was never enough. So I felt unsatisfied by life, which again was uh, because of my selfishness. And so I had to really go back to, to embracing the, the 12 step way of life and focus in on really seeking God in everything, you know, and so to, to answer your question, I don't, I don't know what that thing is that, that, that causes somebody to finally say, oh, I can't do this. I need to surrender. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I do. It just, and it, it, I, you can try to raise the bar for people and not enable them and, you know, try to bring it to their attention. But at the end of the day, it's just something that happens with each individual where they finally realize they can't do it on their own and they have to have help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's sad to watch when somebody can't surrender. Well, I but think something about and some people, some people die, you know, I mean, they just can't, they can't get it. And I don't know why. And, and I, you know, I don't necessarily, because I have such a deep faith that once we die, no matter what the circumstances, we're free. Yeah, yeah. We're free. And so on some level, I really believe that some of those people that I have to watch suffer and die are put here for that purpose. And that may sound cold and some people may not like that and they don't have to agree with it. And But, but I really, that's the only way it makes sense to me that, you know, their that their the pur their purpose was to provide something for other people through their suffering. Mm -hmm. 
but that they're that they're now free. Yeah. You know, they're absolutely free and living in the love and the light. Yeah. If they're not reincarnated, but I don't know really about that. So <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know. That was actually. <laughs> yeah. And how quickly. Uh, I have so enjoyed the opportunity to catch up. Yeah, me too. Me it's, too. It's it's good to to see you. Good to see you. Is there any, you know, as we are getting ready, you know, just really two more questions. First, just when it comes to spirituality in its like most basic form, what is it that you believe? And secondly, from all that you've learned over your life of it, not necessarily being an easy, straight, narrow, you know, well-paved path. If there was one piece of advice that you would be interested to share with others, what might that be too? Um, boy, I, I, I know that, and I felt God love within me, that it, that it, it that energy, that love, that feels like love is within me. And I, and I believe it's within every other living organism on the planet, that energy, that, that, that it's all somehow connected and related. Um, and that no matter how an individual looks at that or defines it, whether it be Jesus Christ or, or, you know, Allah or, you know, whatever, you know, great spirit, it, it's all the same, that that energy just is, that God just is. And, and that our attempts to define it and put it in a box is understandable, but that gets back to what you alluded to earlier, because then if I can get in a box and know it and understand it, then I won't have to trust it because now I'll understand it and I can harness it. And I don't think it works like that. I think that it's far beyond what we can comprehend or understand. So I hope that satisfies you on the definition um, <laughs> of what I believe. Um, what was your, your other question? Oh, yeah. the one thing that, yeah. the one thing, That love is really all that matters. Oh. Yes. Yes. And that needs no explanation, really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Well, I wish nothing but love and success for you in this new you know, latest adventure in your life both, you know, your, your love with, with Stephanie and, and your families and also your new business adventure and your continuing spiritual growth and journey. Thank you. I wish the same for you. Thank you. And thank you thank for you sharing. Very much. Thank you. So thanks to all of you who have been watching or listening for this episode of Dirt Road Divinity. I appreciate it greatly. You can feel free to find these uh, videos on YouTube or, you know, with your favorite podcast provider. You can also join the Facebook group, uh, Dirt Road Divinity, over at Facebook. Look forward to interacting with you there. And until next week, have a beautiful journey.